not everything has to go towards leadership. And in fact, I think the only people that should be in leadership are the ones that would be not good at anything else. I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. This is Jessica, head of coaching strategy at Chris, and today we're flipping the script for another special edition episode to get Michael's take on how to identify and nurture talented A players, why leadership and management aren't necessarily the same thing, and how to recognize the right moment to let go of an underperforming team member. The thing you cannot control in other people is their effort. But if you've controlled for everything else, meaning that you've provided somebody with clarity, resources, training, they know how to do their job, they know what's expected of them, and then they're just not doing it, well, that's when you know. That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Here we are for yet another AMMA. Let's do this thing. All right. We got all sorts of questions this time, right? I mean, we do every time. But if you have a question, you listening to this podcast right now, all you got to do, shoot us a text, 404-531-7691. It's funny. Like I, I got a message from someone who's like, oh, man, I really love it if you'd answer my question on the podcast. And I'm like, what's your question? Maybe you're hoping that somebody will ask the question that you have in some future episode, which I'm sure could happen, but the odds of that are probably pretty low. So submit them. We keep it anonymous. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And the crazier the question, the more likely we're going to answer it on the podcast, because I think those are the most interesting ones. All right. So batching these together this week, I really found the focus around managing high versus low performers. So I'm going to speak a little first person in this question. So they reference me. So I really liked how in Jessica's presentation, she talked about the difference between A, B and C players. I want to grow more A's, but how do I know if someone is worth the investment, especially when someone is newer? Yeah, what do you think, Jessica? I don't know. It was your presentation. Yeah. So if I think about A's, B's, and C's, and I feel like A players is very simple ways, like do they make your life easier? That is one point blank type thing. And then I think to look on the other end of the spectrum for a C player, do you dread meeting with this person? Is this person just a complete vampire suck of your energy, your time, everything else? But really focusing on A players and just saying like, do they make your life easier? Do they over deliver? So instead of just giving you the bare minimum and the expectation, do they exceed that expectation? Do they have natural leadership qualities in terms of just followership? Do they step up when it's time to step up, when no one else wants to step up? You've referenced it before, even of just taking ownership and whether it's the good, bad or ugly. You know, I can think of some definitely some team members here like they've called me and told me they messed up before I even knew that they messed up. And You would think someone's crazy for doing that. But at the same time, I'm like, that is pure ownership right there. So I think it's short and sweet, really, is like, are they hitting targets? And are they a positive influence on the culture? Are they making your life easier? That's it. All three. All right. That's short and sweet. There you go. There was a follow up a little bit to that. So I think this one we could probably both tackle on. But I struggle with finding the right amount of challenge to give my team. And how do you balance the risk of giving someone a greater responsibility with the downside of them potentially being unequipped to handle it? 
So I know we kind of go through this a lot with, you know, sink or swim. And it's like, all right, we're going to give it to them. But I think you also have to work up to a massive target. We will never give someone a full target their first month. So really looking at that and making sure that they are equipped. Now, not enough to say, like, I'm doing the job for you, but have you set them up for success? Yeah, it's going to be a very subjective judgment call, regardless of like, how do I know if I'm giving somebody too challenging of a task? Look at the standpoint of, well, have they done anything that's related to this type of task? Maybe just not at the scale before. Like, have they done the things that help to build their own confidence? Let's say we're talking about like some sort of like marketing campaign, for example, and they've done something on a smaller scale. Now they can be given the accountability to take on a campaign of a larger scale. But if they've never done anything related to that before ever, not even close, there's no commonalities, there's no similarities, nothing. And you're just going to throw that on somebody. Well, then it very much is going to be a sink or swim type of situation. And there's those that are challenged. They're still going to step up. It's just, do you really want to put somebody in that type of position where they've never gone swimming before and you just throw them in the water, right? Yeah. And I think we always look at it too, of like the stakes can't be that high. You always say like people can make mistakes, but we're not going to give something to someone that's going to sink the company. Oh, absolutely. And oftentimes, whatever it is that you are assigning to someone, it's not just from the standpoint of, let me just give this to them so I can test them. I mean, this has to make sense for the organization and for, and for the business. And you're really trying to find who would be the best person to take on this initiative because either way, it's got to get done. And there's going to be certain things that depending on the scale of whatever it is that you're assigning that it's going to require support from other people, maybe even support from you. There's going to be things that perhaps they can just take on on their own. You can delegate entirely. So it's going to vary. Again, you have to ultimately make that judgment call. But I find, at least in my experience, that if someone has never done anything relating to what you're asking them to do, then that's probably not a great idea. You want them to be able to build some confidence, let's say on a much smaller initiative before you give them the reins to something much larger. It oftentimes doesn't even make business sense because you're asking someone without any proven capabilities to do something. So let's say in most cases, they're not going to be successful. How does that benefit the firm? Right. And I think another mistake people make is when they want to give a big task or a big project or whatever that is, is like that does not free you up instantaneously. So I think that's one thing people think, oh, I'm just going to give it to them. But don't think of it in terms of completely removing yourself. Like there has to be a transition period for stuff like that. Yeah. And they also have to accept the task. That's a missing component that a lot of times people, especially in leaders, don't see. It's like when you are assigning someone to someone, it's not just like, let me just send this off and delete the thing. It is meeting with this person, providing what do the success criteria look like? What are the expectations? What does great look like? And then the person on the other end who's being assigned this saying like, yes, I commit to doing this. I understand. I mean, if they have questions, they ask the questions. If they require resources, they request the resources. You don't just send it off and then go away. It's making sure that somebody's able to fully commit to whatever it is that you're asking them to do. And then once you have that level of commitment, then it's setting the cadence by which you're going to meet and follow up and get progress updates. They can still ask you for help. They can still ask questions. But it's interesting with questions like these, because somebody's asking, I think a lot of times the answer they're looking for is, how do I not assign too difficult of a task? Instead of the other question, which I think is probably more interesting of how can I challenge somebody effectively? Because usually what happens is, is they're not developing people because they're not giving them challenging enough work. Or when they're seeing them struggle, they're pulling that struggle away from them because they've already either solved that problem or they know how to solve it. And you want to let people sit there and struggle. Yeah. You want them to actually think critically, to try things out, to be able to, in quotes, fail and then try something else. You don't want to remove all challenge and adversity from someone because you're robbing them of that ability to grow. So more often than not, I think when people are assigning tasks, they're probably not giving somebody enough of a challenge, not enough of a push than the other way around. Yeah. I agree with that. All right. So next question. I have a team member who is great, definitely an A player, but she has no interest in managing others. She says she wants to continue to grow, but how do I grow someone uninterested in management? Love this one. 
Why do you assume that they have to grow towards management? Sports is such an amazing analogy for everything in life. But not everybody needs to be in the front office. You can have great players that play well on the field and you can invest in them and they can continue to develop their skills and develop their capabilities. But not every career path has to lead to management and leadership and managing others. Not everybody wants to do that. And then those that do do it half-heartedly because they think that that's the progress path for them of like, here's how I go to the next level of my career. So I'm going to go do something that I have absolutely no skills or interest at. Right. And then they find themselves in quote leadership roles with the titles they wanted without the capability to actually perform in that role. And then now they're miserable. They've been chasing some title their whole life. They finally get it and they just find that they're not fulfilled. They're not enjoying anything that they're doing. And you see this in sports all the time. You see like a lot of great players that somebody was on the field, they were amazing as an athlete. And now they say, Oh, well, they'd be great in the front office as a general manager or some other role. And they're horrible. Sometimes you've seen, and I want to name certain ones, but we've had them as summit speakers where they've had amazing careers as elite athletes, Hall of Fame, amazing. And as soon as they moved into a very different role, were not nearly as successful because it takes very different competencies, like completely different competencies. I actually say I respect this person that they're that self-aware. 100%. Yeah. And we made this mistake before too. Sometimes you're looking around and saying, hey, I really need a leader right now for either this department or this area of the business. And you look at someone in your organization who's a high performer and you think that because they're a high performer in whatever it is that they're doing, they would also make for a great leader. So then you put them in this role and they fail and they're not successful. And why? Well, it's because the skills that they had that were allowing them to be successful in their role, let's say, as an individual contributor, have nothing to do with the skills necessary to be an effective leader. They're completely opposing skill sets. So in one area, someone's like specializing in what it is that they're doing well. In another area, it requires things like empathy and like selflessness and being able to effectively manage the performance of others and being accountable for other people's success, no longer just their own. It's not for everyone. No, absolutely not. So I think it's a gem of a human that's not self-aware. So find a place for them. Absolutely. There's other places for people in, in organizations like that. Not everything has to go towards leadership. And in fact, I think the only people that should be in leadership are the ones that would be not good at anything else. So meaning that these are the rare selfless individuals who care more about the success of others than they do about the success of themselves and are also interested in developing capabilities that have to do with empathy and interpersonal dynamics and various types of performance management and leading through metrics and data and have an obsession with developing others and coaching others and helping others succeed. This is not for the clout chasers. This is not for those that just are looking after some sort of title that think that they're going to be some person of significance because they're a so-called leader. Wow. Right? I mean, that's just nonsense. And anybody who chases that, they're oftentimes the worst leaders. Yeah. They're in it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. All right. To round this one out. So sometimes I recognize that someone's poor performance is a direct result of insufficient training, onboarding, or poor management. But how much is attributable to the manager versus the team member? Basically, when are you able to determine if the team member is just a C player? So, I mean, for me and my experience, what I found, you want to control for as much as you possibly can. So to this point, you want to make sure that somebody knows how to do their job. They've received sufficient training and development, that they know what is expected of them, that you've provided them with that clarity and what the standards are, what the expectations are, what is great and look like. You want to make sure that you provide them with the resources they need to be successful, that they have a computer, maybe they have internet access, that they have the software that they need, that the infrastructure is there for that person to succeed. And at that point, you're setting them up for success. Now, the thing you cannot control in other people is their effort. But if you've controlled for everything else, meaning that you've provided somebody with clarity, resources, training, they know how to do their job, they know what's expected of them, and then they're just not doing it, well, that's when you know. You're not going to be able to control somebody's effort ever. And either they want to perform in the role or they don't. And then the worst ones, I love this, 
are the ones that come to you and say that if they made more money, that then they would do their job well. Or the only reason that they're not performing is because of some missing gap between what it is that they're being paid. And if they got paid an extra $5,000 or $10,000, suddenly they become an A player. Okay, I performed this experiment. So I'll save anybody listening the turmoil of this. That is not true. And in fact, if it were true, then I would say, all right, well, if I can pay you 5,000 more and I'm going to get double the output, can I get triple if I pay you 10,000 and can I get quadruple if I pay you 15,000? Is it just a sliding scale of what your effort is? Or are you just half-assing it all the time and that you're somehow going to turn it on? This magic that we have not seen from you, this gift that you have, if only you were paid more money beyond the amount that you agreed upon when you joined the organization, right? This isn't to say you can't incentivize people. It's not to say that people shouldn't be able to grow in their career and you can obviously pay them more money. But if it comes with the caveat of saying that like you're not getting the performance you want out of them because you're not paying them, well, that type of individual, whether they're just like metering themselves, right? They're holding themselves back from this greatness. Nonsense. What do you think about that? I mean, I agree with that. I think one thing, too, with really determining AC player and really did you set them up for success, you do a really great job of saying, like, is there anything else I could have done? So if someone fails, again, from a leadership perspective, you take ownership and say, what could I have done differently for this person? If we exhausted every single option, then, yeah, we set them up for success and they didn't succeed. I always think it's my fault, to be honest. Even if they don't work out for reasons of effort, I still think, man, what could I have done to better vet this in the interview process, right? In the hiring process, how could I better determine like whether this person has the grit, the hunger, how they would deal with adversity, like miss something. Ultimately, you want somebody to work out and you want them to have the skills that they need. You want them to have the right mindset and attitude they need. You want them to be a great culture fit. So if they come in and early on in the organization in the early years, when someone would fail, of course, it was 100% my fault, regardless of how great the individual was, because there was no training and onboarding. There weren't any processes. People weren't being developed. Like This is like year one, two. Now, you fast forward today, and it's like the goal is always providing all those things, making sure that that's there up front. Because when you hire someone, you're really placing a bet saying that I am betting on the fact that you will be a value add to this organization. I want you to succeed. Why would I hire somebody, pay them money, and then them not be a great contributor to the organization? That's what you're vetting in the hiring process to make sure that this person would be a great fit for the role. So when they come in, they can help to elevate the organization. And if they're not succeeding after being provided the training, the onboarding, the clarity, like all the things that are essentially necessary in order for them to perform in their role and they're just not succeeding because they don't care, well, why don't they care? And how do we not properly vet for this? Because it's still going to happen, right? So it's always going to be your fault as the leader. That's really the mindset you should have. You should be a complete ownership of the situation, but it's also your fault if you continue to tolerate that type of behavior too. It's like, look, I've made a mistake. This person probably not a great fit for the organization. We provide them a training, provide them with onboarding, provide them with clarity. Like they know how to perform their role. They just don't care. So at that point, the only other mistake you can make is if you keep them around. Correct. I think that's everyone's biggest regret with the C players that they did not terminate them when they should have. Oh, absolutely. Everybody knows. Yes, Everybody you know. knows. You already know. If you ask yourself, do you see this person at your firm a year from today? Yes. Or would you enthusiastically rehire this person? Yeah. Well, I know some people are going to answer that question and say, I wouldn't enthusiastically hire anybody in my law firm. So they just blow it up and start over. But maybe you should. Yeah. Like, if you really wanted to make the greatest amount of progress in the shortest period of time, it really is asking yourself that question because you know. And you can try to justify it in a million different ways of saying, well, you know, maybe if I give them another chance and based on their horoscope, based on the season of the full year moon. and there's a full moon outside and today it's raining, you can try to justify it a million ways. But once you provided all of the resources and training, and again, this is assuming a lot of things, because I would say that most firms are not providing proper onboarding, not providing proper training and development, not providing proper clarity. You have to be able to solve for those things first. 
But in the rare case where you have and somebody's still not performing, well, you can't teach hungry, right? There you go. And with that, we will wrap it up today. There you go. Thank you. You've been listening to the Game Changing Attorney Podcast with Michael Mogul. If you found this episode valuable, here are three free ways that we can help you grow your law firm. Number one, download the first chapter of Michael's book absolutely free at GameChangingAttorney.com. Number two, you can shoot Michael a text at 404-531-7691 and ask him any question you'd like. You might just hear the answer on the next episode. And finally, number three, if you can leave this podcast a five-star review, it will help us gain access to more influential thought leaders and bring their lessons learned here to you. For more information on this episode, see the show notes in your podcast app or visit LegalPodcast.com. 